Welcome to the CBIA BizCast. I'm your host, Ali Warshavsky. And today on our podcast, which is sponsored by Google, we have Mark Duclos with Century Commercial. So much has changed in this space due to COVID and Mark is here to break down the trends he's seeing in Connecticut. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Ali. Thanks for having me. And Mark, before we go any further, do you want to break down what you specialize in? Sure. So Century Commercial is a Hartford-based uh, real estate, commercial real estate services firm. We do a brokerage and advisory. We do uh, we do a construction management. We do property management. And in those uh, three specialties, we specialize typically in industrial and then uh, office space. So those uh, we're generally known as an industrial and office firm. Yeah. All right. Good to know. So office space. Everyone's wondering what happens to it. Um, you know, until 2020 pretty standard. People were building their businesses or moving and they wanted these big offices because they had employees um, and the hybrid or remote work model wasn't as popular. Of course, now we have that. Um, What are bigger businesses opting to do now with their space or as they look for new spaces? Yeah, I think so. So COVID was a great accelerator, right? So I think if you're looking pre-COVID, a lot of those things that are going on right now were actually in mo- in motion before COVID. Uh, you saw some large insurance firms. I could think of that specifically uh, playing with that kind of work at home concept. Mm-hmm. And people argue whether it worked or it didn't work. And yes, they probably brought some people back into the office and things like that. But that showed that they were playing with the idea. And I think a lot of firms were playing with that idea. COVID forced them to really deal with that idea accelerate the decision process, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, not sure that the hybrid model was all that popular of a model. So it was either kind of a work from home or you worked at the office. And now the big word is, is hybrid. Uh, certainly we're in a market where big footprints uh, because of the financial and uh, insurance and real estate world, we're kind of strong in that, that uh, the, what they call fire uh, industry here in the region, um, you know, with big footprints, those big companies are making decisions. And there's no question, listen, if you look at examples like the Hartford and, and them closing their half a million square foot facility of an office up in uh, Windsor and moving it back downtown and sending some people home. It's tough to argue that that's not where these companies are leaning is to really reduce their footprint and, um, you know, just uh, just uh, you know, leave some a lot of vacant space on the market, unfortunately. And with these vacant spaces, um, who's going after them? Uh, I read an article that said that some smaller businesses actually now have the opportunity to get an office space where they might not have before because prices have dropped because landlords or you know want to fill these spaces um, to get some type of revenue from someone. Is that what you're seeing? Not so sure about that. I, okay. I'm a small firm, right? So we're a yep. small firm and we moved during COVID. So we moved uh, from uh, from 2,500 square feet to 5,000 square feet. We did not have a difficult time finding 5,000 square feet. So I think those smaller spaces have always had a certain um, limitation of the number of units, but, but you have been able to find them. So really, you know, I wouldn't go from 5,000 square feet or 4,500 square feet and all of a sudden pop up to 25 to 30,000 square feet just because it became vacant, right? A footprint. Yeah. Uh, So I think these landlords are really dealing with some, so number one, so the small companies, um, I think 
those companies have tend to be just keep moving along. And we'll probably talk about a little later, but, you know, kind mm-hmm. of kicking, if, if I was unsure where I was going, I'd probably kick the can down the road, short-term lease mm-hmm. and just keep moving. Probably wouldn't downsize if I was looking to downsize, because how much can you downsize from 4,500 square feet? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, conversely, I'm probably not looking at taking advantage of that, the Hartford as an example, as an opportunity, yeah. because you look at the spaces up in Hart, up at the Hartford, you know, the MetLife building, which they call the atrium now, Pigeon Hill Road, the old Etna building, and those are huge blocks that I'll never take. I think those landlords are coming to terms with some big decisions. Like, what do you do with this building? Do you turn it into a multi-use building? Do you take mm-hmm. it down? I think there's some uh, real cases to be made that you take it down and you redevelop the site entirely. Uh, the rebranding um, of the MetLife building into the atrium and, and really, um, and, uh, and they're, they're making a, a push to go ahead and release that space. So those landlords are really challenged with some decisions. We actually had an opportunity to um, represent a landlord for a four-story office building. Um, and rather than take on that listing, we asked them to go back and do a highest and best use because quite candidly, we didn't think we were going to be able to actually release that mm-hmm. as office space. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's so interesting. I didn't even think about um, just knocking it down and creating a completely new space, but um, there does seem to be an interest, um, would you say, in creating multi-use like um, entre- entrepreneurial hubs mm-hmm. or something like that, where a huge office building that used to just be an insurance company might now be open to like co-working spaces? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the idea uh, is such a great point. So, right. So you look at those footprints and you start saying, let's break them down into multi-use. I'm sorry, multi-tenant where before we we're just leasing out big footprints. Now you're leasing out the multi-tenant. Yeah. And listen, they, when we went into COVID, COVID, uh, they thought that was going to be the, the death of co-working, right? The, everybody points to WeWork and WeWork, the death, yeah. death of WeWork, which actually almost happened, but actually they came back. Um, mm-hmm. Actually now co-working space is actually a real viable option because I think everybody's not so worried about being, you know, six feet from each other or even more, mm-hmm. uh, co-working's become a real viable option again. So um, we've seen that theory go away. And I think you're right. People looking at mm-hmm. subdividing spaces and, and making it work. Yeah, just a place uh, that to can be expensive too. That can be expensive too, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Do you see, you know, on, on your end, certain types of businesses or industries, you know, I know you represent a lot of the industrial space that seems to not like they're still seeking their, you know, there hasn't really been a low. I'm not sure if COVID accelerated some industrial space areas because people one needed more space between their workers to create their product or new products came to light. Like all of a sudden we needed um, a lot more PPE companies and they needed to invest in properties. Have you seen any boom? Pre well, as we went into COVID, so I always say, listen, as we went into COVID, everybody kind of buckled down, right? So I remember it was uh, was a, a March thirteenth and or you know the March fourteenth and all of a sudden of two thousand. 20 and everybody was like oh my goodness and i remember me going oh my god what are we going to do you know the company yeah. look out the, co- the world shutting down and then of course the dust settled and a couple of weeks after all of a sudden maybe three weeks after you started seeing opportunity and so you t- they, as you said the ones with the ppe we immediately relocated a company from rocky hill down to hamden i remember that was taking mm-hmm. advantage of the ppe uh needs and things like that that settled down reasonably okay. quick and when i say quickly maybe six months to a year when mm-hmm. you know, they still had the sanitizer companies and things like that. Uh, obviously, uh, filtration systems and things of those type are still going strong. 
Um, but the real opportunities that we saw on the industrial side was I think where people didn't, me included, didn't see the opportunity was on the logistics. We did not really see that logistics and e-commerce boom, right? And that's what really exploded. Uh, the, uh, when I started in this business 36 years ago, if you looked at a 100,000 square foot lease, that was a big deal in the industrial market. Now you're doing, there's four, four and a half million square foot buildings being put up by the Amazons of the world. So those were the real winners, right? The people mm -hmm. who own land uh, were able to sell land to developers who were building buildings for the the, the Home Depots and the Coca-Colas and the Amazons of the world. So that was a big one. And where you were talking about companies being squeezed, what happened is because of the industrial boom and the industrial space shortage, we had some manufacturers who had a difficult time competing with getting space with the e-commerce companies because e-commerce companies were paying big money, yeah. right? And manufacturers could only spend so much to, to actually you know, be able to, to afford to build, build their product or make their product. So. Yeah. Industrial boomed. Office did not. Industrial boomed. I think I'm not a multifamily expert by any means, but a multifamily actually has done very well as well. Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I completely um, didn't even think about, yeah, the fact that there's Amazon warehouses and other companies popping up everywhere so that they can get their product and overnight shipping out. So even though with the less office space desire, you guys are dealing with more industrial space. When it comes to um, the big office space buildings, you know, you did mention, and I want to touch on like what are companies now asking the shorter lease? Are they looking for more amenities in the space? We already touched on co-working spaces as being an option, but mm -hmm. are they wanting to negotiate a little bit more for the building that they are paying for? Yeah, so uh, you get a little bit out of my wheelhouse on that one, yeah. but I but I, listen, I do enough of these and I'm on enough panels and on the road <laughs> enough. I'm the, the, for, I'm the past media past president at SIOR Global. So we've got mm -hmm. uh, done an awful lot of travel and hearing. Uh, we've got Larry LeVere here in our office that represents, so I get a lot of feedback from him on what's uh, going on in the office market. I think the general thing that I hear is, and, and Hartford gets a little challenge on this, is that high-end office space is actually doing very well throughout the country. So if you've got class A high-end office space where you can offer big-time amenities and big-time high-class space, then that, that space is actually doing pretty well. Uh, it's the problem when I qualify with Hart Hartford is because we don't have any true class A office buildings, you know, things that were built recently. So we still have, with all due respect to the office building owners, um, still some older buildings where we're trying to turn them into maybe high-end class A spaces. So those, those tenants that are willing to take down big footprints are typically going to the high-end spaces. Yeah. On the amenity side, there's no question. People have geared up their amenities, right? They're, they're, there's more there's more of your um, your eating areas. You look at the atrium and you look at what they're doing up there in Bloomfield. I can't name off everything, but the common areas in the in the in the atrium areas, uh, eating establishments, uh, outdoor outdoor um, uh, venues where you can go out and eat outdoors, running, uh, as you said, gyms and those kind of things. Listen, I, I don't want to say uh, millennials anymore because it's not really just millennials, right? We're outdating ourselves if we're just saying millennials. But uh, the, the employees are driving the decisions now. It used to be that employers drove the decisions for space. Uh, the reality is it's the table is turned. The employees are driving the behaviors of employers, and employers have to listen uh, because, as you know, there's no secret here. Your CBIA, right? There's just there's just a there's an employee shortage. 
So if you're not offering what they are looking for, then guess what? You're not getting employees. I know it's so incredible to see um, the improvements in offices as things have opened up and we've been doing more, you know, on-site visits. Um, one had a golf simulator, that same one had a coffee keg. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I'm so happy that, you know, when a company has like a hot pot of coffee, let alone like one you just pull the handle and it's some, um, you know, That's designer. Cool. Yeah, it's, um, so it's been so interesting to see what companies um, are investing in to make it a co-working space that people want to come into the office because of course they're paying for these leases. They they want um, the employees to use them. With the companies that are, you know, industrial spaces creating or, you know, using this land to build up or vice versa, I guess, taking down buildings um, to create a new type of real estate option. What are, are they dealing with the issues of the supply chain issues that are happening? Is it taking it longer for buildings to re tech, rebuild really, you know, or modify their spaces? Uh, 100%. So just going backwards here. Yeah, obviously tenant retrofit and things like that. Your supply chain is, is it's more costly. It's more, it takes more time and, um, and hitting, hitting target dates to have people in buildings is, uh, is an art, not a science. And um, so that, that seems to be softening a little bit, but still not entirely. So yeah, the supply chain as it relates to retrofit, it's a big one. As it relates to new buildings, it's huge, mm -hmm. right? So you, we've seen just um, historical rises in all building materials and almost every facet of a building. And not only the price rise, but the entire um, question mark on whether what time you're gonna get that product, right? So not only are you paying potentially three, four times more for that product, you're also waiting and waiting and waiting for that product to be delivered. You know, when you start talking about delivering buildings on the industrial market to clients and you start talking about pricing those because your client wants to know, hey, what's it gonna cost? Well, guess what? These providers aren't able to actually give you what the actual number is, and a lot of them are pricing yields into their prices. So uh, rather than give them an actual number of what's going to cost, they're basically saying this is what we need to make as a provider, and then whatever when we deliver that product, that's the margin, and that's what the price is. So yeah. uh, and you're seeing huge delays. You got then you got to to piggyback that with the approval process, right? So not only now you have a big supply chain delay, you also have a big approval process delay, towns are starting to buckle down on the uh, e-commerce and logistics construction. So you're starting, or development, I should say. So you're starting to see yeah. towns, you're starting to see towns, you know, I can name a half a dozen towns in this region right now that have either, either changed their zoning laws or put moratoriums on the construction of these type buildings. So there's a real challenge in these in this market right now and then you throw in now you know amazon putting the brakes on any kind of new development that they're doing any kind of new leases putting you know anywhere between 10 and 30 million square feet of sublease space that's starting to change now too and how does that affect is the user now starting to slow down and are they going to take these buildings that are being built so and i don't have to then you throw in the economy right in the economy right so it's a, it's a challenge, but supply chain is and will be for a while a, a, a challenge. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, I know you, you primarily deal with the Hartford area, but are there any towns or areas in Connecticut that you, you kind of see a commercial real estate boom? Um, 
Yeah, and we deal, like the and winter we area was seeing a lot of warehouses for a little bit, but that might just be from the articles I read. That might not be <laughs> necessarily 100% fact. Yeah, and I think as a general statement of stealing, mostly in the Hartford area is probably true, but we do steal, steal all over the state of Connecticut with the exception mm -hmm. of Lower Fearful County and up into Massachusetts. Um, Windsor was number one, logistically, it works very well and it had land, right? So yeah. it was a land rich town. Um, land rich towns that are well located are gonna do well. And certainly Windsor was one of those, South Windsor is one of those, mm -hmm. East Windsor, Enfield, Enfield more specifically than East Windsor. So you look at the, what the Winstanley uh, uh, Enterprises is doing up in the Windsor area. And mm -hmm. you know they were the driver of the ABV developments down on Day Hill Road. Um, that land is starting to dry up. So we did the Amazon deal up in uh, up in up in uh, Windsor, up in Windsor mm -hmm. near Bradley International, and across the street they built two more big buildings. Well, there's not a lot of parcels like that that are available yeah. anymore. So now you're going to start seeing if the logistics boom keeps going, then it's going to keep moving from the core, right? And mm -hmm. because that's typically where you have more land. The problem with that, a lot of those parcels aren't approved and they have challenges and the infrastructure for some of these towns just isn't great. So if you're going to pick out towns, certainly um, Windsor, Enfield, South Windsor, uh, Rocky Hill to a certain extent uh, for this greater Hartford area have done mm -hmm. very well. Wallingford, we just did a 150,000 square foot lease down at Wallingford. Uh, Wallingford's a very tight market, and um, but now Wallingford has also put in a moratorium for development. So who knows yeah. what happens there? Oh yeah, it's yeah. a fun world. <laughs> I know a lot of avenues to navigate. Um, it's from the outsider, you just think you do this, you get it sold, whatever, but that's not the case clearly. And, and especially with commercial real estate. So, you know, um, we've been asking a lot of our guests to answer this question, you know, because you mentioned some of the challenges, for example, we were speaking in, in with um, Bishop's Orchard, which will be an upcoming podcast. And they were speaking of permitting issues with farming, et cetera, but what would be a better what would help Connecticut, I should say, become a better state for business like real estate? Oh boy, that's a loaded <laughs> question. Got a couple hours. Uh, listen, I generally am a fan of Connecticut, so I'm not a I'm not a, a cynic of Connecticut. I think Connecticut's done a lot of good things, and I think um, a lot of companies. Uh, we're not for everybody. Right. Yeah. So, so as I say, if you're look, if you're a widget manufacturer and you're thinking of Connecticut, there's no reason to be here. We're not a we're not a low price uh, state, low cost state. Uh, one challenge I do have with Connecticut is a little bit of what I was talking about just before, which is kind of a NIMBY uh, mm -hmm. attitude. So, not in my backyard. Uh, one thing that developers and one thing that companies want is they want consistency, even though they might argue or be challenged by your rules they want those rules to be set and they want it if, once they know the game then they'll go play it when you start moving the field goal post when you start moving the rules that's when it becomes real difficult and we have seen the field goal post move and we've seen the rules move as uh, the as the logistics uh, side of the business started to get uh, bigger and um, I think towns need to take a step back and I, I get that towns need to need to um, revise their, that maybe the, their um, zoning laws were evolved slower than the logistics boom or the construction boom did, but they need to make sure that there's a balance um, that when an industrial developer comes in and wants to, or wants to develop a building in your town because it's being driven by a company that wants their building, mm -hmm. um, that they're 
definitive on what they're looking for and they don't move those goal goalposts. I don't argue with anything else really that the, the state does. I, I don't. I mean, it's it's a, it's a great state and mm-hmm. it's got some, we've got some great industries. I think we are a um, uh, COVID as difficult as COVID has mm-hmm. been for people and for challenges for companies. I think Connecticut has actually been a winner out of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So we've actually refined the companies and the industries that we're looking for and we're going after those companies harder. I was just in Ireland at, an, mm-hmm. at a European conference and uh, guess what? The state of Connecticut was out there um, at, at the conference. It was really nice to see the state of Connecticut in Ireland at a European and a, a commercial real estate conference out there pitching their services. So I give kudos yeah. to a lot of what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't be here, me and you both, if, if we didn't love it here, if there weren't reasons. But yeah. you're not, um, the answer you gave is not uncommon from what we're hearing was just yeah. that processes need to just be a little bit simpler or straightforward because it's tough for a company. If an out-of-state company wants to come in and they get 10 different answers, they'll find another state that just gives yeah. them one, right? Um, you know, my, my last question for you is just, where do you see the future of commercial real estate? Meaning from the standpoint, yeah, that's a big one too. So yeah, meaning, no. what do you mean the f- future of commercial yeah. real estate? Like where are we going on the Yeah, the yeah. You know, I think that some people before they listen to this might assume that this conversation would have been about no one's leasing office buildings. What do we do with this space? But you have this perspective of, you know, we're actually leasing large spaces for the logistics companies now. Do you see that continuing to grow here? Do you mm. see people returning back into large office spaces, just, you know, from what you're seeing, it's okay. In five years, we're not going to contact you and tell you you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have no problem with that. I'm wrong plenty of times. Um, I would say on the office. So again, being on the circuit and being on the speaking circuit in the last two years, two and a half years now, substantially, I used to answer when we first got out of COVID, when we first got uh, into COVID, and people were asking me for predictions on what office space will look like coming out of COVID. And I'd give my prediction and they, the prediction would be based on the uh, things that I'm hearing on the road. I would say this, I don't think anybody knows what we're gonna look like, uh, what office is gonna look like coming out of COVID. I think it's very difficult to predict. I think mm-hmm. if I was to make a bet, do I think office pr- footprints are gonna be reduced versus expanded? Yes. Um, I think that I generally will give the answer. I think post office post COVID is going to look a lot like what office pre COVID should have looked like. So Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of employers have learned to trust their employees. A lot of employers have been learned how to monitor their employees without them being under their thumb every day. And I think a lot of employers are uh, executing plans that they thought about executing pre pre COVID, but just didn't for whatever reason, decide mm-hmm. to initiate. And now they're initiating them. And I think they're going to see the benefits of that. So I think the, the again, the, the office landscape uh, will be challenged and mm-hmm. we're going to be taking buildings down. I think there's certain markets, certainly everybody points to the Northwest market and, and Hartford as being just a very difficult market right now. And I think some of those buildings are coming down. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. I think um, on the industrial side, I think we're in a good position, but we got this thing called the recession kind of looming. And um, I think we've got a lot of these larger distribution companies, a lot, a lot of these companies that, are, that have filled a lot of these big buildings that are taking a step back and looking and saying, hey, wh- like we, uh, 
Amazon is 400 million square feet throughout the country. Listen, at some point you could take a step back and go, we got to have some extra space in here somewhere, right? And I don't think they're the only one. Amazon's the one you always talk about, but there's plenty of companies that are now taking a step back and going, okay, assessing what do we have for inventory and what do we need to do moving forward? Not to mention evolving the way they operate, uh, which could have what I think will be um, certainly a slow, it will certainly slow our markets down. I think the positive of that is, the local companies, small companies, medium companies that I think will do reasonably well will have an opportunity, as you were alluding to earlier, to be able to fill some of the space that maybe they didn't. Yeah. Even if it's just a, you know, they're a big building that they never would have moved into, but it's divided into partial space, then they would have the opportunity. Absolutely. And I think pricing, listen, our pricing, I, I've been in this business for 36 years, right? And Pricing for probably 32 of those years, maybe 31 of those years for industrial never moved. I was like, you could have asked me back in, in 1986, what was the uh, what was the rent? And I'd say, well, the rent was like three to four dollars a foot. And probably mm -hmm. in 19, uh, probably in uh, 2010, I'd probably give you the same number. That's not the case anymore. Prices have yeah. gone way up. Yeah. So there's going to be a breath at that. Maybe we're not going to see that kind of um, uh, appreciation and rates mm -hmm. and people take little time out. I hope it's not too much of a timeout because there are some people out there <laughs> saying it could be Armageddon, but we'll see. Well, and you need to, you need to keep your job, right? So <laughs> well, well, I always say, I always say, listen, don't, don't get, um, don't get, uh, don't give brokers too much um, credibility on their predictions of where space is going because we're in the business of leasing and selling space. <laughs> so there's a little right. bit of a bias in there, right? <laughs> no, I know for sure. And you just never know. I mean, knock on wood, hopefully something like COVID doesn't come along again in our lifetime, but that was something you never could have predicted. Um, mm. And here we are uh, with all these new uh, ideas and prices two years later. But Mark, I want to thank you for coming on. We really appreciate your insight. Again, in five years, I will not email you um, about being wrong if you were, but maybe we will follow up with you in a year or so, or maybe sooner just to see where things are going or talk about a different topic. So thank you for joining us. That'd be great. Hey, listen, it's been great catching up with you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this week's BizCast. Powered by Google, you can listen and subscribe to our podcast on Apple, YouTube, SoundCloud, and for more episodes, you can head on over to cbia.com.